Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Now my hairi mai. I'm John McDonald, kia ora, and welcome into the Hut Zone on Thursday the 2nd of December. The Hut Zone is Wellington Access Radio's weekly look into the stories, history, people, poems and music that make the Hut Valley community. In tonight's hour we meet a local street artist, Aidan Welbecken, and hear more local history in our series from Upper Hut Libraries, talking to Isabel Charles JP on her community service, and we start a new Days Bay series with long-time resident Mary Hunt. This week's short story is from Eastern Bay's author Emmanuel E. Garcia, reading from his latest book Olympia. We have an original poetry reading from Lower Hutt's Michelle Zhao, Christmas and You, and plenty of local festive music tonight from George Webster, Margie Bliss, Hutt City Brass, Rene Maurice and Justin Reed. In fact, let's start the show off with some piano playing from a visitor to the hut, George Webster, playing the theme to the classic kids movie, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. George Webster on the piano who is keen to share his piano playing skills for the next couple of months when he's in the Hutt Valley visiting from London. Right let's go back in time to a 1993 interview made with the late Mary Hunt of Days Bay. Mary was born in 1901 the daughter of James Walter Chapman Taylor the famous architect. The interviewer is unnamed but clearly a local and another male voice chips in at times probably Mary's son. And to give a bit of a backstory, from 1894 Days Bay was a hugely popular resort. It was created by Captain James Williams and it was known as Wellington's Summer Playground. Around 1905 the northern and southern parts of Days Bay were subdivided for housing, a mix of batches and permanent houses. This central section of the bay remained a resort and in 1914 it became Williams Park run by Wellington City Council. And if you think boy races are only a problem of today, well listen to what Mary says. Today is 7th of October 1993. I'm at the residence of Mary Hunt, formerly Mary Chapman Taylor, at 19 Marine Drive, Days Bay. 
Mary is 92 years of age. Her date of birth is 19th April 1901. She does not look her age. She looks many years younger. She is bright and active and still tends her privy garden. Mary Hunt commences her recollections of Eastbourne, particularly Days Bay, talking about early homes and batches. A whole lot of little rooms around usually which were used for bedrooms. Yes. No bathroom because yes. they used to see. Yes. You are referring to houses in Days Bay, Yes. Mary. Yes. And um, from October, Labour weekend, till just after Easter, all the young buds from Wellington Society boys, or their parents were, they used to rent these batches because they were just there for their booze-ups and things like that, you know. <laughs> and they had their sports cars that used to rip up and down the roads, making an awful noise, and their gramophones came all night, and they'd come down to the Slygrock shop, which was behind the grocer's shop down here. On the corner? Um, just one block or second. Where Van Belden's is now. Yes, that oh yes. the grocer's shop. Yes. They used to be there at all hours at night, up and down, and their jolly cars and their gramophones going. I tell you, today's Bay residents were very pleased when Easter came and they went home. And they used to leave those houses in a bit of a mess sometimes. Then there was Mr. Dick. He was Bill Dick. He was the um, custodian of William's Park. And he was the father of the bay. If anything went wrong, you went to Bill. And he would come and fix it. You didn't have to ring up the plumber or the electrician to come. Bill would know what was wrong because... In those days, we used to get our water from a reservoir up in the bush. And when it rained, the water would get muddy, and grit would be in it, and it would get into your stopcocks and your tanks, you know, and you wouldn't get any water. So you'd ring Bill up, he'd be around and fix it. No money, didn't expect any. And he used to ride a horse all around the bay, and he was examining things, and what a pulse have I got here. On the butcher used to come into the pavilion grounds twice a week from the Gear Meat Company, and you ordered your meat. He'd open up the back of his um, van and the woods and had scales there, you know, and weighed the meat out for you. And then you ordered what you wanted the next time he came round. Of course, our grocers used to take our orders and bring them up once a week, and you only paid your bill once a month. And there was always a little twist of lollies in the um, corner of the order box, you know. Yeah, nice. <laughs> that sort of thing. And there were two old maids who used to run the um, cafeteria, which is now the called the Bay, the restaurant down there. The Cobar, now. Oh, the Cobar. Yes, a, yes. Um, well, um, they used to run this tea room and no one was allowed in there in bathing togs but they used to hire bathing togs and they had winter curtains and covers for their tables and summer ones and they would um, well, everything was homemade and they used to roll their newspapers up tight and go around at night time and gather any wood that had come down in the creeks for their burners and boil the water 
and tub, sometimes a teapot for the water. Um, they made all their cakes. They had in the backyard the foot, the path through to the door, both sides were lined with um, lavender plants. And on Labour weekend, uh, the lavender was always ready to be picked. And I used to help them pick it. As fast as we could pick it and sell little bunches for threatened sale of the counter, um, it would be all sold in one day because if it was a fine day, the boat would come over and there'd be anything up to about 1,200 people here, you know. Mm. Each boat coming over on the weekend would be packed, wouldn't it? Well, they didn't see the sea, some of them. No. I had a cousin came over one Sunday morning and he was on the top deck and never saw the sea. <laughs> they were packed in like sardines. Then the old uh, uh, couple of fishermen, Italian fishermen, used to live over on the point. Tony Mazzola and his brother. And Tony was a big chappy. And I used to give my husband's old suits to him, you see. And when we'd be going into town, my husband was school, we'd say to him, Gee, look at Tony, doesn't he look smart this morning? And I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> Because I knew he'd want that suit. <laughs> Men always want what you give away. But they never wear it when it's hanging up on the cover. And he used to drive a, a horse and cart. And if you were walking along the road, uh, he'd say, Anybody wanted to fish? And the horse, if you looked round, he'd say, Stop. The horse would stop. Herman wanted the horse to go, you'd just say go, and the horse would go. Yeah. And the uh, Italians used to have some launches um, anchored in here. Anchored in the war, bay. Before the war. Yeah. There were a, a few of them were anchored here, the rest were anchored in Rona Bay. Yeah. They had about a dozen launches altogether. They had to go to Island Bay when the war started, the launches. They're really fishing boats. Yes, yes. There was one here when we came, 1961. Oh, yes. It was just one, but it never went out. No. It was nice to see it there. Hmm, true. Mm, what did it belong to? Mio or... Mio. Oh, yeah. then, oh, then... Or Delabarca. Delabarca, yes. Mm. What's the plumber's name? Rob. Oh, Brian, Brian Lowndes. Lowndes. The Lowndes boy's father used to have donkeys on the beach. I remember yeah, for the them. children to ride, do you remember those? Yes. And they used to have a hat on them with some flowers on, on the donkeys' heads. <laughs> there was a donkey cart and I think two donkeys. I used to feel sorry for those for um what are the Brown's boys' names? Brian and Dez. Brian and Dez. Yes. And these two kids used to have to drag these donkeys along with the with the children having rides on them on the beach. <laughs> And then there was the Plunkett Ball that used to be held in the um, old um, pavilion. And all the brands used to be tarpaulins, or, you know, to keep the weather out. And there would be, it was one of the social events of Wellington. Anything up to 500 people, you know, would come along to it. And there were about 60 of us on the um, committee. And we, the supper was all provided by us, homemade, you know, sandwiches and things like that. And so many members had, had to bring 60 
and savouries, each member, and they'd all be gone. I don't know what else. Switch off there. You must remember this. A kiss is still a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. Four miles. You thought nothing of it. Yeah, yeah. Four miles was nothing. Mm. In those days, you walked everywhere. Yeah. And then, when we came back to Wellington during the First World War, my father had his business was in Molesworth Street, and they had a flat. And in his, it was our own building. His building, you know, his studio and workshop was at the back. A uh, uh, flat above the shop. Didn't right. have a shop. No, oh, it wasn't was a shop. Architect. Just a studio. Yes. And he had his furniture on display and yes. that sort of thing. And we lived um, there because my mother was rather delicate and had to be near a doctor. And there were no doctors in the, up in the, um, the doctor went to Trentham to the camp, you see, yes. from Upper Hutt. Yes. So we had to come into Wellington. And we went to the normal school. Kelvin Normal School. No, no, um, Thorndon. Thorndon. It was Thorndon Normal School before yes. Kelvin yes. Normal School. Yes. And they used to, it had a secondary department and they also trained the teachers there. Oh, yes. Yeah. It was training college as well. Training college. Mm. Mm. So you ask me something else. Mary's uh, father's name was Chapman Taylor. Remember that Chapman Taylor's homes? Yes. And furniture and so on? Yes. Yeah. Who was the one? Chapman Taylor. I, mean, I know yeah. that name well. Mm, uh, well known, though. Yes, I know the name. I'm just trying to think where I've heard it. He made furniture. Is oh, yes. Right? Well, he, he built houses, really, and he oh, did yes. make some furniture for them. What, what's he my not? brother makes the furniture now. Moonlight and love songs never out of date. Hearts full of passion, jealousy and hate. Greenwood Street when you first came yes. here in 1933. The post office was there and um, there was a big shop there. There was a library and they sold odds and ends of things. There was a butcher's shop and behind the butcher's shop there was a, a baker's place where they baked bread and then there were there was this, where, I can't, oh there was a corner dairy I can't remember what was where the Chinaman is now, because the Chinaman shop was over where the clothes shop is, opposite. Yeah. I don't know what it's called either. No. Anyway, because there are a lot of new shops that have been altered. True. Anyway, the Chinaman shop was there, on the opposite side. And then there was um, another bookshop there, and a plumber's shop. The chemist was there. And there was a men's hairdresser hmm. on that side, and tobacconist. And then there was the picture theatre. The Royal? Yes, yeah. and they had a sweet shop in the entrance there. Yeah. And then opposite, um, on the corner of, um, what's that street it is? Aroo Street. Aroo Street. Uh, there was another grocer's shop there. 
and then going down towards the wharf was the fire brigade hall. Is that where Rona House is now? Yes. Yes. And uh, then there were several little shops in Arua Street just going down. One was a watchmaker, and there was a hairdresser there. I can't remember. I think the other was a little drapery shop or something like that, but I can't remember. Also, there was a drapery shop between the fire station and um, the corner grocers. I can't remember their name either. That was there when we came. Yes, yes. men's wear too. It's still the same old story a fight for love and glory, a case of do or die. The world will always welcome lovers as time goes away. I'm John McDonald, and you're in the Hut Zone on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. And that was the late Mary Hunt in a 1993 interview on her memories of Days Bay. A big thank you to the Historical Society of Eastbourne for letting us play that interview. Part 2 airs next week. Okay, time for some more music. From Margie Bliss, here's A Hutt Valley Wonderland. Summer's here with daylight saving, late nights up with Christmas baking. The day's nearly here with hot belly cheer, walking through our valley wonderland. Let's go walking up the fire break, take the sunscreen or we'll bake. We'll get hay fever sneeze with the hot belly breeze here in our valley wonderland. The western hills overlook the valley Guide Santa's sleigh down chimneys for the kids Avalon, Nainaitiawakairangi Bokak, Taitawai for two Christmas morn, ain't it thrilling? Corks are popped, the beer is chilling Watching kids as they play the Hot Valley way Living in our valley wonderland Now's the time to settle down Watch the show with friends around So bring your deck chair to the awesome dust square Here in the Hot Valley Wonderland From Petone to Eastbourne and Stokes Valley Is where the reindeer guide on Santa's sleigh a Poonie, Belmont, Pelson, Mangaraki So just be good, he's sure to find the way Now's the time to settle down Enjoy the show with friends around With Nick over there, caravan in our square Walking in our valley wonderland Living in our valley wonderland Here is And that was Hutt Valley Wonderland, sung by Margie Bliss. Time to meet a local artist. Last year, the Douse Art Museum produced a series talking to local artists on their work. And tonight, we hear from Aidan Walbacken on his street art. I often remember a story that my 
Kuro told me about him being in the Navy, um, Norwegian Navy, and jumping the boat in New Zealand, jokingly saying that it was because he thought it was paradise, um, and he fell in love with my Māori nana. My name is Aidan Bradley Warbeckin. I am of Māori, Norwegian and English descent. I reside in um, Wanumata, uh, Lower Hutt, um, but I am from a, a large extended family. Um, many parental figures, many siblings. I've been all the way around New Zealand. So I worked for a large New Zealand company in retail. I was asked by the company to produce a shop display of some sort um, to endorse a product that they had. Uh, I guess I had a go at it. I created a cardboard chicken and um, painted it with the, one of their products. And um, yeah, I sort of thought to myself, man, you know, there could be something here. Like, you know, there's a skill set that, you know, is, is trying to come out. So um, I guess, yeah, the next month I, I quit my job and I went to art school. Yeah, now I am uh, trying to sustain my creativity and teaching art. Uh, so I'm currently teaching art to um, prisoners, helping them to get qualifications in the arts. Um, that's my day job and then in my spare time I'm painting murals. At the moment I have a project on with Greater Wellington Regional Council and Wellington Water and we're painting a mural that uh, talks about how we take water from the catchment and the process that's involved with getting it to people's taps. And I'm also working on painting a mural in this facility, Way of Life Gymnasium. So I aim to eventually be tattooing full-time. I guess I'm trying to develop my skill set so that that's you know, the next step or the next thing for me. Murals still have a massive part of my life, so I'm still trying to also um, find my style and you know, develop my ideas and how I communicate my ideas and my art. I draw inspiration from the community uh, massively. Uh, I also draw inspiration from my immediate whānau, um, current affairs, um, memories, um, things that happen in my day-to-day -day life, just the whole spectrum really, whatever draws emotion. So a big challenge for me is time management, so it's trying to juggle being creative, spending time with my whānau, looking after myself. Also, I would say making a living off being an artist, you know, it's um, trying to make your clients and the community aware of the skills that you have and that, you know, you've got something to give and, um, you know, that's something that can be overlooked a lot. The community to me means being inclusive. Um, it means all of us working together, um, yeah, and being an extended final, I guess. Cool. So, I mean, if you're talking murals, um, I would definitely say check out Jaden Thomas, um, local local muralist. Also, uh, Theo Raj from the Hut. I've been watching him do some amazing stuff at the moment. Um, if you're talking tattooing, then I would say look at um, Shane Bishop, Black Bishop I think he calls himself, over in Ōtaki, tattooing at ATB Tattoo. Uh, yeah. I'm John McDonald and you're in the Hut Zone on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. And that was Aidan Walbarkin talking in the Dows Art Museum's Artist Interview Series, which you can see more of on their YouTube channel. OK, time for our weekly dose of hut poetry. This week's poem is from Lower Hut's Michelle Zhao.
I'm Arlene Croft, and I'm reading a poem by Michel Zhao. It's called Christmas and You. Christmas holiday. It's our happiest holiday of the year because of you, son. We drove to north, flew to west, climbed mountains, crossed oceans just to be with you. To see the Christmas tree light up, to welcome the first ray of the new year. But not this Christmas, border closed, in 27 years, first time we will not celebrate Christmas together with you. Sad we couldn't stand by you when you need us most. Proud we know you work hard to save people's lives. Hope we will see you again soon. Believe we will treasure the time we get together even more. More Christmases will come. Let us make every Christmas special and let you know no matter where you are, be with you or not, we will always love you. Son, because of you, every moment we spend together, it's our joyous time. And that was Christmas and You by Michelle Zhao, read by Trenton's Arlene Croft. Okay, time for some more festive music. Here's Rene Maurice and My Grown Up Christmas List. upon your knee I wrote to you with childhood fantasies Well I'm all grown up now but still need help somehow I'm not a child but my heart still can dream So here's my life long my grown-up Christmas list, not for myself, but for a world in me. No more lives torn apart, that wars would never stop, and time would
And that was former Apart resident Renee Maurice. Now let's hear part seven in our heritage series from Upper Hutt Libraries, looking at the life of a former local council politician, JP, and marriage celebrant, Isabel Charles. The series was recorded in the year 2000, and the interviewer is Sue Kenny. First of all, I was telling you about my first service over at Partenoe. Yeah. That was because they wanted to get married in the village church hall, but had lovely big windows looking out over the country. But the minister in the church wouldn't come out of his church to perform it. Oh. And so uh, they came to me, yeah. and that was my first celebration. Yeah. And being a marriage celebrant, you mentioned funerals. Did that encourage people to come to you to do Well, I, I had been performing uh, weddings for some time, a few years before I was asked to do the funeral of the father of one of my brides. And I did say at first no, and they said, well, her father had put in his will that he wanted me to do his funeral mm. service. So I couldn't really refuse. And so that was over on the other coast, because in the early days, being one of the early celebrants, I was doing weddings over on the coast, in the various parts of Wellington, you know, everywhere. And I uh, spoke to Reverend Ann Stevens. No, not Stevens, the one before. Uh, I mean, our woman minister anyway. And she had, she gave me a lot of information. And also I had a book from Australia that somebody in Auckland had recommended, which gave you funeral services mm. and name-giving services. Mm. And that's how I adapted that mm. and used it for that funeral. And they said, it, to them, it was such a success. Would I be doing it in the future? Which, of course, mm. I have. Mm. So, from your view, the church was or were quite happy for these weddings to be being taken place. Yes, some of the ministers. Mm, Apparently mm. The, the, the minister over at Partenui that had refused to come out of the, his church, mm. I did meet up with him sometime later, and he said about weddings should be performed in the church. Mm. He was of the old school. And I said, but Christianity didn't begin in a man-made building. It began in the mm. open. And we always reckoned that the countryside and gardens are God's creation, so what better place to be able to have weddings? And he just said, oh, my process wouldn't approve. And then later on, being involved with the, um, the founding member of the Family Refuge. Yes, well, at that time we had a community, uh, Upper Hutt had a community service officer, Mary Jane Rivers, and they were, there had been a speaker out from England who who had been around the country speaking on women's refugees and the need for them. And Mary Jane had called together various people that were involved in community work throughout New Zealand, uh, throughout Upper Hutt, mm-hmm. rather, Upper Hutt and the Hutt County mm-hmm. as it was then. She was calling a public meeting 
of these people together and she had apparently uh, approached the city council they had approved of it but none of the councillors were prepared to actually chair that meeting and so she came to the Heritonga riding of the Hutt County and she rang me and asked me if I would take it and mm. I said yes I would take it and um, that's how more or less I became involved mm. And the name, where did the name the come name from? The name Um we had a very, very good worker, very good coordinator, and she, she became out to us, Dale Robertson, she is now, she was Dale Rappener, and um, when we were thinking of a name, she suggested Arvina to benefit and to befriend, mm. which we felt was very... And, and how do you spell that? Arvina, A-W-H-I-N-A. And it was I who insisted that it be called a family mm, refuge. Mm. And because of my experiences in the police department, I said that women could be violent just as mm, well as men mm, could be. Mm. And uh, that if a man wanted to remove his children from a violent situation, a lot of men are meek and mild and, and they'd been brought up not to hit a woman, you mm. see. And the children were suffering. But if he wanted to remove his children, obviously we couldn't put him and his children in the refuge with the women. But we would assist him. Mm. And in one instance, we assisted a fellow in Wellington to go down to Christchurch to relatives down there. Look, one of our, our helpers had him stay at her house with the children overnight and took him down to the ferry so he could go across mm. to the South Island to relatives there. We were there to help the family, mm. not just the women. Mm. Because women can be violent. Mm. And so you, you had a safe house? Mm. Mm. Oh yes, mm. yes. And that was a, uh, and that, that was supplied house? by the council, yes. Mm. yes. Mm. It was what, what used to be, what is now the CAB? That was our first. And gosh, it was in the state too. <laughs> Sorry? It was in a, a state, yes, yes, you know, <laughs> spent a lot of time. And, and uh, we had a very good management committee. Out of that, mm. that big main meeting that we had, we had men and women. Mm. And I mean, men and women were there right from the beginning. And and the men were very helpful. And we needed the men to do some of the, the heavy work, mm. too. Mm. And they became, and one of them, he did. Uh, overstep the mark. He used to go down to see the women at night, make sure they were safe and that. And and I pointed out to him that he was at risk mm. himself. They could say that he did this, mm. that and the mm. other, you know. Mm. And, and it was the same with the housing corporation. One of their men used to go to the refuge at any old time. And um, I wrote to the, the, the head of his department and pointed out that he was at risk. It was a tactful way of saying he wasn't to go there. <laughs> and it was better for him to notify us so that we could have one of our women volunteers there while he was interviewing mm. any of the women mm. for a, a house or a flat or that for his own sake mm. as well as mm. and so th th they agree mm. yeah. and, and put it the right way and with I mean how did the community view this at that time was they were very good they were very supportive mm, mm. and I went to a lot of men's groups who were a bit diffident about it mm. but when I explained that we were willing mm. to help the men as well mm. then their hands went into mm. their pockets about three of us went round with begging bowls we got help from Woolworths, we got help from Evans's, we got you know bed linen and things mm. like that mm. and every time we had a management meeting we would all bring 
cans of food or something mm. and, and give, we were giving a lot we weren't getting paid none of us ever no. got paid for no. it which of course they did eventually mm. it was when this government started giving them money and that was when the national collective came mm. into being and it was the national collective that was always against Alfina because we allowed men to help mm. us mm. too but men were only allowed to help us if there were volunteers mm. there at the same time some of their husbands were very good. One always played Father Christmas every year. So, so the emphasis was on the family, which really mm, mm. worked, yeah. That's why yeah. it was called mm, Family Refuge, yeah. yes. You, you mentioned too about the housing corporation, and I read somewhere here you were involved with in the housing... Housing Allocations Board. Housing. I was on, oh. the, on the Allocations Board. And, and that, that was, was another voluntary Yes. Thing. We were appointed um, at that time by... I was appointed under national government and our chairperson was a very a very good woman I think she came from Lower Hutt or somewhere mm. I can't remember now she was a very good person and when Labour came in they wanted to change wanted another a, a Labour person yeah. to be <laughs> all of us and about three of us were Labour people and we all objected <laughs> apparently I think it was Phil Goff was the um, housing MP at that time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was quite annoyed, you know. <laughs> we said we still wanted her. But we weren't there as mm. political people. Mm -hmm. We were there to help people get homes, you know. Yes. So eventually we did get a very good fellow. Apparently he was Labour. Mm. He was a very good chairman, mm. but she was good. Mm. We thought so. And that was when um, the housing corporation, when, when the, the housing corporation was, was in, 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 yes. in, in and uh, we used to we used to have um, meetings here, and then we used to have to go over to Porirua to their main office. And with the allocations committee, there would be two of us, and we would be going through all these applications for places, mm. and sometimes there would be a lot of overcrowding. Yeah, it was mainly once again the to Hutt do with Valley. the the Hutt Valley and and once again for yeah, families, family. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's how I came to get that family values award mm. because a lot of the things I've been involved with have been for family, mm. not just one sex. And and that families value award, which we'll take a photo of later, so <laughs> uh, the person who's listening to the states knows was awarded in, oh, just recently, 1999. That's right. They managed to get it in the last period of the last century. That was the mm. first one in New Zealand, yes. apparently. Did the other churches, the other um, Latter-day Saints churches doing that? or Apparently Auckland uh, one were trying to be the first, but um, I don't know, they couldn't get, couldn't get some, whether they couldn't get somebody or what it was, mm. but anyway, they missed the boat. Mm. But this is what, what, what they'd said at this, at that yeah. function. Because here they've just had another one for Carol Timmons, yes. which they invited me to. Yeah. She was nuts. Then you were involved, um, after, well, uh, and also in 1979, um, public relations officer for, um, life member. Which was for the family, re um, family refuge, mm. and yeah, um, I handled the publicity for yes, quite some time. Yes, yeah. She had to be very careful. Uh, uh, mm. Some one of the new volunteers, she went to the press about something or other, and she could have caused us a lot of mm. trouble. You know, mm. and you've got to, be, you had to be very careful. In mm. fact, when the press used to ring me to ask 
you know, if I would give them information about that, uh, I'd say, well, I'm busy at the moment, I'll ring you back, mm. gave me time to write it down. And then I could say, well, this is what I said. You had yes. to be very careful. Yeah, very careful yeah. by the sound of that. Years ago, mm. I gave a couple of talks on Access Radio for the uh, council. Uh, one was on the Healthcare Association, one was for the um, senior citizens. Stuff giving a series mm. for senior citizens. Mm. And then in 1980, appointed member of the Wellington Health Service Advisory Committee for elderly and um, mm. once again your involvement with, with health in, the, in our community. Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, well that's a long while ago now. Mm. It was um, one of these, you know, they kept setting up all different types of boards mm. and committees on health and all that and they had this one um, and I was on the committee for the health of the elderly. Mm. Mm where we were, at that time we were advocating instead of people going into retirement homes and uh, it was before they started all these villages and that, but be, about people going into retirement homes that where possible we, there should be facilities where they could remain in their own home where they could have the district nurse and Meals on Wheels and all that. And ironically one of my sons is trying to get me to go into a retirement village. <laughs> Can't understand why I won't go. <laughs> and then um, I've got down here too about you're very active in, in um, retaining the, the the hospitals in our area. Yes, yes. yes. Mm. Uh, sounds like a bit of active activism. Oh, really? <laughs> I was in the march where they were marching in Lower Hutt. Oh, right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we've quite a few demonstrations. Yeah. Would you consider yourself an activist? <laughs> <laughs> to a certain extent, where health, where health matters mm. were concerned, yes. Mm. I mean, it's one, and, and we're having Fred supporting you and oh, doing these yes. things. Oh, yeah. he, yes, it's been a big help. And of course, he he was he was very up in politics and things like that, and he had a very good, keen mind. Yeah, as I say, once again, it, uh, everything that um, we talked about today is, is you know, uh, somewhere involving health and, oh, and yes, issues yes, yes, and. Yes. And um, your passion for the community health, um, health and well-being, yes. really, I suppose. Yes. Was this something that I mean, even back in England, you were obviously aware of? I suppose it was. Mm. It's mm. something that has, I suppose, has grown on me. And, and as I say, it works up to 152 years worth of. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder there are days when I feel old. <laughs> no, I think really that it has been as good for me as, mm. as me for him. I'm John McDonald and you're in the Hut Zone on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM and that was the late Isabel Charles talking to Sue Kenny as part of Upper Hutt's Library's Year 2000 Audio History Project. A big thank you to the library in letting us play that interview, part 8 plays next week. You can always Google Upper Hutt Recollections to find more in their audio history archive. Okay, time for some more Christmas music. From Hut City Brass, here's Ding dong merrily gone high.
I'm John McDonald and you're in the Hut Zone on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM and that was the Hut City Brass Band. Okay, time to hear this week's short story reading from Eastbourne's Emmanuel E. Garcia. Thank you very much for coming to this reading of my of excerpts from my latest novella, Olympia. The excerpt is entitled, The Scar. She had lightly kissed her suitor on the threshold and bade him goodbye. He was young and impetuous, well-dressed, fairly intelligent and quite possessive. He wished to know how she spent her time without him. She refused to countenance the request, so she stayed his lips with a fluttering kiss and sent the young man on his way. But when can I see you again? he asked. Saturday afternoon. A week away? I won't survive, my dear. Why not tomorrow, and the day after, and the day after that? Don't be silly. Aren't you a busy man? I also have things to do. He left reluctantly, letting his hands linger on her hips and daring to extract another kiss, which the woman refused on this warm, humid evening in Catania. When she was sure he had gone, the woman collapsed in her bed. She was tired and drawn. She had lost a great deal of weight, which, though it enhanced her allure, weakened her. Not long before she had fled to Sicily to escape the dregs of a disastrous adventure that ended with the recognition of her own failings, her own imagined needs aside from money. And Money it was she needed now, not more love. Although this young man had a certain charm and gentility, perhaps he also had character. She deftly poured herself a large tumbler of whiskey, her chief source of nutrients these long summer days, and reviewed the plan she had prepared. The touring dance troupe of Russian vagabonds would perform in Catania in two days' time. After the show, a hodgepodge of Tchaikovsky, Rimsky, and Ravel, all to recorded music blaring from crackling speakers. The dancers would retreat to the nearest bar. One of them, in particular, a dark-haired, vulgar siren in the corps de ballet, a minor number, had a penchant for cocaine. So she knew from her former lover, who had since been spurned like a dog, by this vulgarian interested mainly in his purse. There were many cautions against revenge, but she dismissed them easily and casually. No, in some cases revenge was just what the doctor ordered. Olympia, despite her state, knew how to dress and how to seduce. Her plan was simplicity itself. Follow the dancers from the green room to their chosen bar, flirt with the men, get the word out that she was a source of cocaine, and pay special attention to the vulgarian who would be sure to inquire. And when she did inquire, Olympia would lead her to the bathroom where, while she bargained a price and ultimately handed over the drug, she could deftly stab the dancer in the calf and make a hurried escape. Yes, it was a risky endeavor, but one that was well worth striving for. A well-placed thrust would hobble the Russian for years. The performance ended, and what a dreadful, tasteless performance it was. And Olympia took her post at the stage door. 
The dancers drifted out one by one, lit their cigarettes, and gathered together to decide where next to plunder. Olympia approached the troupe, praised them, and was quickly taken up by the stagehands as they set out for the nearest night spot, whose forgettable name Olympia never remembered. All that was necessary was to follow the plan. Once there, the revels began in earnest. Russians tend to drink, and the Russians that surrounded her as she played showed a great interest in her wares, the Bulgarian chief among them. In the bathroom, Olympia produced her cocaine. If the Russian could dance as well as her eyes, she would have been a formidable talent. But when Olympia saw those eyes up close, the eyes of a besotted, frenzied simpleton, she lost heart and left the woman to indulge herself. Back in the bar, simply to relieve the tension of a misguided stratagem gone thankfully awry, she danced and kissed and threw herself into the arms of any willing man, and she drank her fill. One of the gallants offered to walk her home, and as she prepared to repay him for his gallantry with her bed, gratis, the charming young suitor of two nights before appeared and sprang into action, dispatching the drunken Russian with ease before turning to Olympia in fury and with a knife. Holding her by the throat against her door, he choked her, and she, also weakened by drink, could hardly resist. The man ignored her pleading eyes and with his right hand used his blade to etch a line into her left cheek. Slowly, before spitting into her unconscious face. Love, said Olympia to herself as she woke and ran her fingers across her wound. I guess it serves me right. I'm John McDonald and you're in the hut zone on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. And that was Eastbourne's Emmanuel E. Garcia reading The Scar from his latest book, Olympia. But sadly, that must mean we're running out of time for this week's show. A big thank you to all our guests today, and thank you for listening to the show and for supporting Wellington Access Radio. If you have a local hut story, musician or poetry suggestion, then please make contact, we'd love to hear from you. Facebook message me or email the team, and our email is thehutzone at outlook.co.nz. Now you can listen again to the show as a podcast on the Hut Zone pages of accessradio.org.nz or check out my Facebook page for links to the individual interviews and my Facebook name is John McDonald NZ. Keep safe, mask up, vaccinate and wash your hands whatever the traffic light colour. Let's go out with some Eastern Bay's Justin Reed of the Hutt Valley Ukulele Orchestra with a popular carol. Hairira. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas.
Christmas and a happy new year. Good tidings we bring to you and your kin. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding and bring it out here. Good tidings we bring to you and your kin. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Well, we won't go until we've got by Wellington Access Radio get your voice heard thanks New Zealand on air for funding accessmedia.nz